Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Mike. Uh, welcome to Living Water Community Church. For those of you who are at home, it's great to have you uh, here with us today. I uh, want to uh, just kind of dive into things. Uh, I, I have in my, uh, the beginning of my message here a little note to tell everyone to buckle their seat belts. Uh, I thought that was a little intense when I actually put it in there. But uh, this morning is going to start uh, off a little bit more like the storm roll or storm uh, runner roller coaster at Hershey Park uh, rather than this Skyrush roller coaster. If you're a, a Hershey Park fan, you kind of know how those two roller coasters work. When you, when you go on Skyrush, it's just kind of a, a steady climb to the top. It takes about a minute or so to get to the, to the top of the hill. And, uh, you know, all this anticipation kind of builds up and you get really excited. Uh, but Storm Runner, you're, you're sitting there uh, horizontally and it just kind of slides back just a little bit. And then there's this click and you get launched immediately into things. So uh, this morning there's going to be no fancy illustrations, uh, no uh, heart-captivating stories to kind of get you uh, ready for things. We're just going to kind of dive right into this. Uh, so if you have a Bible with you, open up to uh, Genesis chapter 49. Uh, we're going to be working our way through verses 20 through 22 to 26 uh, this morning. Genesis 49 verses 22 to 26. And uh, if you are able to stand here in the room and also at home in honor of God's word, I'd humbly ask that you would do that. Genesis 49, starting in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. This is the word of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Now, we are approaching uh, the end of our series that worked through the, the last half of the book of Genesis. And uh, we once again find ourselves as basically flies on the wall uh, inside of a, a, a room where uh, Jacob is preparing to die, and he is now surrounded by 12 of his sons, of which he is giving his deathbed blessings. And at this point, uh, the ten, first ten sons have uh, been blessed by Jacob. And now Jacob is preparing to bless his favorite son, Joseph, who must have, and I, I kind of wonder, uh, you know, what is Joseph feeling as he sees this whole scene go down? And, and that's kind of what I want you to imagine this morning. Here you are, you're, you're Joseph. And you're in uh, the, the room where your dad is about to pass away, and you're surrounded by all of your brothers, ten of which, who years early, earlier in their jealousy, treated you poorly. 
ridiculed you for your dreams, then one day unexpectedly jump you, throw you into a pit where they plan to leave you to die, but then they have a discussion and they decide that rather than letting you die in a pit, they could actually make money off you. So they, they sell you as a slave into a, a caravan of, of, of wandering journeymen who ultimately take you to Egypt and they sell you to a man by the name of Potiphar and they go, the, 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 the wandering people sell you to the man by the name of Potiphar and then your brothers go back to your dad and tell them you have died because you were killed by a wild animal. All of which, for the next 22 years, keep you away from your family while your dad thinks you're dead. What must that have been like? To watch your dad bless those ten scoundrels. What must that have been like? Some of us don't have to imagine that. Some of us know full well the pain of betrayal and rejection by family members and friends and coworkers and teammates and employers. Some of us know full well what it's like to, to see those who have, have caused us harm to be blessed and for things to go well in their lives, for them to be rewarded for, for that which has actually been horrific in our lives. And some of us, we've been on the other side. Some of us have been the ones responsible for the betrayal and the rejection. We have been rewarded in spite of hurting others. So many of us get how Joseph probably felt at that moment because many of us have felt the exact same thing. No doubt there was more than enough hurt to go around. There was uh, more than enough blame to go around as Joseph waited for his father's blessing. And I, I believe Jacob understood this full well. I believe Jacob understood the dynamics that, that were going on in that room at that time. I believe Jacob understood the overwhelming pain that, that Joseph must have experienced in his life as a result of his, his brother's jealousy and their, their evil actions. And I believe that Jacob understood uh, the bondage that comes with that kind of pain. And so he does something about it. He decides to set Joseph free so that he might be able to be blessed and so that he might also be able to be a blessing to others. And from what I can conclude, jo or Jacob does this in, in multiple ways, four very specific ways, and they're, they're my main points for this morning. I want to give them to you up front, and then we're going to just kind of briefly work through each one. And I have them here on the big screen. So the first one is this. I believe that, that Jacob affirms the good that Joseph does. Or that Joseph did, I should say. 
Secondly, he, Jacob acknowledges the evil that was thrust upon his son. He doesn't cover it up. He doesn't gloss it. He doesn't pretend that it didn't happen. He acknowledges the evil that actually happened. Third, Jacob glorifies the God in which his son trusted. And then finally, Jacob exalts the spiritual blessings that, that Joseph is ultimately going to receive. And so we're going to just kind of work our way through these. Uh, look again at verses 22, uh, verse 22 of Genesis 49. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. Now, if you're like me, you weren't sure what a bow was. But after you listen to this lullaby, I think you'll know what it is. Go ahead and play that. bough is the main branch of a tree. And according to the lullaby, when the tree's main branch breaks, the baby falls. And if you ask me, that's one messed up song. Worse yet, what kind of twisted parent sings that song to their baby? Other than my mother, who I'm certain did that to me as a young child, maybe that's why I'm the way I am. Now, you can get away with that stuff, placing babies uh, in cradles on branches back in the 70s when I was a kid, when they let you play dodgeball at recess, when, when, when we were allowed to ride bikes without helmets, when you could actually drink water out of the hose that was in the garden. But nowadays, you take your precious little baby and you put that baby in a cradle and you put that cradle up into a tree and before the wind starts blowing and that cradle starts rocking, your neighbors, every one of them is calling children and youth. You're going to be in remedial parenting classes for the next 15 years. Your kid's going to be a senior in high school before you graduate. So now that we know what a bow is, here's the explanation of verse 22. A fruitful bow by a spring whose branches run over the wall is a, is a picture of a, of a fruit tree or this luscious vine that, that's planted inside the, the perimeter of a, a wall that surrounds either a city or maybe a, a home. And this, this tree or this vine has, has grown so tall and is so lush that it's spread out all over not only the compound but also outside the compound, outside the city on the other side of the wall. And so what happens here is not only the people that are living inside of the compound or the city, they're blessed, but also the people that are living outside of the compound or outside of the city, they're blessed because everybody gets to eat 
the fruit of the vine. And it reminds me of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That is Joseph. Joseph is a, is a Psalm 1 kind of guy. And not only was he a, a blessing to himself, and not only was he a blessing to his family, those people who were, what, quote, inside the wall, but he's been a, a blessing to, to, to others, those who are outside of the wall. He was a, a blessing to the people of Egypt and, and to the people uh, who came and looked for food. So he's a blessing to those inside the wall and a blessing to those outside of the wall. And what Joseph accomplished in those 14 years, those seven years of plenty and those seven years of famine while he was leading Egypt is nothing short of amazing. And through his wisdom and integrity and leadership, his actions saved the lives of countless people. And his father Jacob wanted to rightly affirm the good that Joseph did. And how many of us long for that kind of affirmation? From a mom or a dad, or from a spouse, or a boyfriend, or girlfriend, from a, from a brother, or sister, or grandparent, or from those whom we work, work with or worship. And how many of us have been beaten down, told that we'll never ever amount to anything, ridiculed for how we look, or how we speak, or for what we've done or haven't done. Overlooked or cast aside by those who are supposed to care for us. Made to feel worthless. How many of us are, are longing for someone to, to tell us that we actually matter? That we have a purpose, that, that people love us, and more importantly, that God loves us? How many of us desperately desire for the good that we have done in life to actually be acknowledged by others, and, and hopefully not just acknowledged, but, but ultimately appreciated. You see, that's the message that Jacob is trying to, to get across to his son. He, he wants his son to understand that, that, that he has seen the good that, that Joseph has done. He's trying to get Joseph to understand that not only has he himself been blessed, but that Joseph has been a blessing to so many other people. And you would think that Joseph would know that. After he's the prince of Egypt. Doesn't he know the good that he's done? Doesn't he know the great worth and value that he has? Isn't it that obvious? But what I have come to realize over the last 20 years of leading living water, that it's easy to allow one's failures to outshine one's accomplishments. And I've learned that the infrequent complaints of one's critics always sound so much louder 
than the frequent compliments of one's encouragers. And I have learned that even in the midst of doing good and trying to do good, not everyone is going to see it that way. And that sometimes that, that your best efforts to bless others are misunderstood at best and maligned at worst. And many of you have probably experienced similar things. And when that happens, it, it's critical that, that someone comes along and ultimately reminds us that God knows our hearts, that, that anything good that we ultimately do comes from him and really not from us. That the bad things that we do, that, that the sins that we commit, that the pain that we cause others is always covered by God's grace that flows from Jesus' shed blood. And that God blesses us to be a blessing to others. And as Jacob is on his deathbed and as his son Joseph is there, he, he's helping Joseph to clearly see the good that Joseph had done and the manner in which he had been blessed by God and the manner in which God had ultimately blessed him. And that's a powerful thing for a parent to do for their child, even their grown child. But that's not all that Jacob does for Joseph. He acknowledges the evil that, that Joseph has experienced in his life. Look again at verse 23. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. So what is Jacob doing here? He's acknowledging the wrong that has been done to his son. And the amazing thing is he's doing it right in front of the very ones who did the evil. He not only acknowledges the evil that happens to his son, but he acknowledges it in front of the perpetrators of that evil. And taking time to acknowledge the pain of others is powerful. And the Bible speaks of this in Romans chapter 12. If you want a summary of how you're actually supposed to live as a Christian, what God actually expects from you and me. If you want to understand the way that you and I are to live in this culture that is going to fall, it's falling apart in front of our eyes, memorize Romans chapter 12. You will never, ever, ever be the same. And, and I want to read it to you right now to give you the, the full impact of it. And then we're going to just concentrate on, on five words at the end of verse 15. This is Romans 12. This is what God expects from those who call themselves Christians. Anything short of this is not Christian. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints 
and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. We would do well to remember that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you want the world to be different? Don't like what you're seeing on television or reading on social media or hearing on the radio? Are you frustrated with all of the political and social and, and racial tension that is tearing our country apart? Do you have a jacked up relationship with your spouse or your kids or your parents or a neighbor or a coworker? then pay no attention to the conspiracy theories of the world. Extract yourself from political tribalism. Cast aside the, the failed secular sociological theories that only serve to, to further divide people and not actually bring them together. And start living out Romans 12. Or start living out Romans 12, and I guarantee that will change things, not only in you, but also in me. And we could talk about the implications of Romans 12 probably for a, a year-long sermon series if we'd like. But as it relates to, to Joseph's blessing, I want to look at just the last five words of verse 15. Weep with those who weep. You see, Joseph didn't need Jacob to fix his pain. What Joseph needed was his dad to acknowledge his pain. There's this wonderful uh, animated video on YouTube created by a grief counselor and writer by the name of Megan Devine. And I found that it was very helpful when it comes to acknowledging people in pain. Now, I don't know anything about Miss Divine other than the video. So I can't speak to her theology. I can't speak to her worldview. She might be a theological train wreck. You might go out there and, and research uh, 
Megan Devine, and you're like, why in the world would Pastor Mike even mention her? Well, I didn't do any research on this woman at all, so, so don't go out there and you know, think that I'm uh, recommending her to, to solve all of your ills. All I know is that she makes one killer little video on acknowledging the pain of others. And this is what she says in the video. When someone has been hurt, many times we want the pain to go away. So we try to cheer them up. And that forces them only to defend their feelings. Or we give them advice, and that makes them to feel under, misunderstood. You see, the problem is you can't heal pain by trying to make it actually go away. What we really need to do is simply listen to them, she says, because that makes things better even when we can't make them right. Jacob couldn't make the trauma that, that Joseph experienced in his past go away, but he could at least he could acknowledge it. But he does something even more powerful than simply acknowledging it. He acknowledges his son's pain in front of the perpetrators. And we see Jesus do this very thing in John chapter 8 in the account of the woman caught in adultery. Let me read it to you. It says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and they continued to ask him. And he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. You talk about someone who has been abused, someone who has experienced trauma. This woman has basically been set up. How do I know that? Well, it's very clear, actually. The Jewish law demanded that when, when the act of adultery was committed, that both the man and woman were supposed to be stoned. But the Jewish leaders, they only bring the woman to Jesus. Where's the guy? What, what, what's up with that? Did, did the Jewish leaders just, just let him go? Or perhaps he was actually part of the setup. Verse 6 tells us what? That this was done to, to test Jesus. It's a, it's a game that these guys are playing. This woman just happens to be a, a pawn in the entire thing. And regardless of whether it was a setup, whether she, she w w did this of her own volition, however it was, Jesus doesn't excuse her sin. 
Instead, he acknowledges that she is being used and abused in front of her abusers, and by doing so, he sets her free. And by Jacob acknowledging Joseph's trauma in front of those who caused the trauma, Jacob is helping to bring Joseph's trauma, or helping to bring healing to Joseph's trauma, and in the process, setting him up to, to be blessed and ultimately to be a blessing in other people's lives. Now, the amazing thing here is that, that somehow Joseph manages to rule Egypt in spite of all of this trauma. Even though he's sold to slavery in Egypt, he proves him, and even though he proves himself faithful to Potiphar and then gets betrayed by the wife and accused by the wife and goes back into prison. And then he, he talks to the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker and they ignore him when they get out of prison and, and don't tell Pharaoh who he is. Even though all of this bad stuff happens in his life and, and given this incredible rise to power, you would think that Joseph would be like, poof, man, I'm good. I did all this all by myself. Man, if I didn't have all these skills and abilities, if I didn't have all this perseverance, man, I could still be stuck down in that dungeon. But because I was so good, I got myself up. I, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I put on my big boy pants. But I believe that Jacob didn't want his boy to be like that. He didn't want his son to act like that. And he reminds him who actually put him in this position of power. Look at verses 24 and 25. Yet his bow remained unmoved, his arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. See, what Jacob is doing is he is glorifying the God that, that, that Joseph actually trusted and the God that, that worked inside of Joseph's life. You see, the reason why his, his bow remained unmoved and while his arms remained agile was why? Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob. It's God and God alone who actually did all of this. And in these two verses, Jacob uses five names of God in rapid-fire succession to remind Joseph who rescued him in his distress and exalted him in his success. And the first one is this, the mighty one of Jacob. I love how personal that is. He doesn't say the, the mighty one of Abraham, your granddad. He doesn't say the, the mighty one of Isaac, your father, he says, no, the, the mighty one of Jacob. Jacob is saying, my God, my God is the one who, who rescued you. And at some point in our lives, our relationship with God needs to become personal. You see, I need to worship not the God of my dad or the God of my granddad, I need to, to worship the one who drew me to himself 
when I was 18 years old, when I wasn't even looking for God. I, I need to worship the God who intervened in my life to give me an amazing wife by the name of Kathy. I, I need to worship the God who was so incredibly gracious to Kathy and I that she allowed us to, to give birth, well, they allowed Kathy to give birth to two amazing sons, Mike and John. I need to, to worship the God who, who miraculously allowed Kathy and I to adopt a beautiful, sweet, innocent daughter, Nicole, who turned into a, a loving and beautiful young woman. I, I need to, to be the one who worships the God who, who drew me away from the corporate world and sent me to seminary and allowed me to pastor this amazing church. You, you see, the God that I worship can't be the God of, of my granddad or my dad. It needs to be my God. I need to, it needs to be the God who has worked inside of my life. And Joseph needed to understand that. He needed to understand that, that he was serving a very personal God. Back in the 19th century, there was an English minister by the name of Alexander McLaren, and he wrote this. He says, each man for himself must put forth the hand of his own faith and grasp that great hand for his own guide. My Lord and my God is the true form of confession. See, Jacob wanted Joseph to, to have this God for himself. And may you and I see God that exact same way. May he not be some distant God. May we not be relying on, on, on the God of our mom to, to get us into heaven. May we rely on our God, the personal God. And then he rattles off four other names of God. He calls God the shepherd, speaks of God's basic tender care. And the stone of Israel, which speaks of God's firmness and stability. And the God of your father who will help you. It doesn't get more personal than that. And then finally, the almighty El Shaddai. Shaddai has two meanings. It means overpower and sufficient. You put them together and it means that there is this holy God who overpowers everything and is sufficient for all that you need. Not just some of your needs, all of your needs. And I believe it was so very important for Joseph to hear this so that he wouldn't rely on himself so that he wouldn't see all of this power that he had gotten in Egypt as his own creation. As much as it's important for Joseph to hear that, so it's important for us to hear it. Because it's so easy to miss God in both our success and in our pain. In our pain, many times we want to think that God has abandoned us. In our success, many times we're tempted to think that we just simply didn't need God. Isaiah 43 speaks to this. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. God is with us both in the pain and in the triumph. And Jacob wanted his son to understand that. This brings us to the final verse, verse 26. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. See, what Jacob is doing here now is is he is is pointing to the future blessings that are going to, to flow through Joseph and through Joseph's brothers through the tribes of Israel and ultimately out into the far reaches of the world. And he's trying to help Joseph to understand there is nothing greater than the spiritual blessings that come from God. Because he's got everything. The dude is in charge of Egypt. He's only under He has all the wealth you can possibly imagine. Jacob gets that. He's seen all the wealth. Joseph could have just said, man, you know, build me a pyramid, throw me in that thing, put a couple million dollars worth of gold in there, and I'm just going to be fine. Jacob wants just to understand, all of, the, all of these blessings in the world, all of these, these very tangible things, these very material things, they are, don't even come close to the spiritual blessings that God gives us. And the greatest spiritual blessing manifests itself in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. You see, the spiritual blessings of of Joseph, they have flowed down from generation to generation to generation to those who have repented of their sins and have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as such, we have been blessed. Why? The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians this. we, We, first of all, we have been blessed because God has chosen us. God didn't look down from, from, from heaven and, and pick us based on our merit. Because if he did, none of us would be in his presence. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God, God looks down from the glory of heaven. He sees Mike Leonzo in all of the stain and sin of his life. And he says, I want you not because of anything you have done, Mike. Not because of, of, of anything you've done good. Not because of anything you have done bad. I want you simply because I want you. You have worth and value to me that you don't understand, but that worth and value doesn't flow from you. It flows from me. And if that wasn't enough, the fact that the God of the universe had looked down and said, I want you. Jesus, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he has declared that that you and I, we are holy and blameless. 
When God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see the, the long history of sin in my life. He looks down and he sees his son's pure shed blood that covers my sins and covers your sins. And in the process, Jesus does something amazing. He doesn't just choose us. And he doesn't just see our sins, not see our sins because they've been covered by his blood. He adopts us into his family. Makes us sons and daughters. We're not some kind of illegitimate children. We, we, we are his. Let me explain to you how this works from an earthly perspective. Back in 1996, Kathy and I, in the beginning of November, we adopted Nicole. She was three weeks old at the time. And that spring, the spring of, of 1997, we had to go into the Dauphin County Courthouse. We had to stand before a judge, and, and the judge asked us several questions about, do you want to be this, this, this young lady's mom and dad and things like that? You had to swear, go through all this little, you know, formal ritual and all that kind of stuff, and, and then the adoption's finalized. And that's really cool, and it's beautiful, and we all cried, and we had a party, it's wonderful. But the most beautiful thing was delivered by the United States Post Office about two or three weeks later. Completely unexpected. I come home from working at AMP after a long day, I open up the mailbox, and 5738 Cloverdale Drive, where we used to live. And there, there's a, an, an envelope. And I open the envelope, and it's a birth certificate. And the birth certificate says this. Nicole Faith Leonzo, born October 17, 1996. Mother Kathleen Michelle Leonzo, father, Michael Stephen Leonzo. And tears poured down my face. I mean, here's a birth certificate affirming that she is our child. And that is what the God of the universe has done for those who, who he has drawn to himself, for, for those who've repented of their sins and, and received him as Lord and Savior. We are adopted fully into his family with all the rights and benefits of Jesus. That's what God has done. We are no longer objects of, of his wrath. We're his beloved children. And he did all of that. Why? So that he might be glorified through us. Jacob wanted his son to understand that. And Jesus wants you and I to understand that. And so as we consider Joseph's life, both the blessings and the heartaches, might we see that God is always at work, using both the pleasant and the painful to accomplish his work for our God, our good, and for his glory. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to fire up a, a video uh, that speaks to the great work that God is doing 
through our world in this time. There is a, a global pandemic going on right now, but there is something else global going on, which you're gonna see in just a moment. Lord God, thank you for these folks. Thank you for the blessing of your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, that, Lord, your truths would penetrate deep into our hearts. Lord God, that we might follow and obey you all the days of our lives. Lord, would you help us to be peacemakers? Would you help us to love you and to love others? In the process, might your Son be glorified through our lives. And it's through your Son's name we pray. Amen.